I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. Um, if you guys were last week, we began what will be a walk through um, this book that's in really near the very back of your New Testament, um, the book of James. It's worth noting as we begin, and I'll say this several times as we proceed here, that the book of James is really a wisdom book. You can think of James as kind of the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament book of Proverbs in some ways. Um, We are interested, because I think the letter of James is interested in this question, and the question goes something like this. Um, We gather here together to listen to God's word and to sing songs, but we actually then go tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and live in the world and we have little, a little map in the foyer of the little places where we all go from here. And the question James is inter- interested in asking is, you know, what is it supposed to look like? How is our faith supposed to work in the very real things that we encounter and face in our very real life this week? It's a book about maturity, growing up together as a body, um, as a Christian person, both individually and collectively. So we are making our way through. And tonight we come to James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. They're printed in your worship guide if it's easier for you to follow along there. Um, in addition to reading that text, um, I'm going to read a passage of scripture from the book of Deuteronomy that carries some of the same themes. So I want to encourage you to listen to these words from Deuteronomy and then listen to the words from James. So let's listen carefully to this God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea to the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And then from the book of James, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to, to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. 
But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. And Lord, we rejoice tonight that knowing that that thing is also the thing you've promised to do. Lord, so we stand on your promise that you would shine light on this, your word. Lord, that you would shine light on the dark places in our hearts. Lord, and that you would use these words from your word and the words that I've prepared and use them to great effect in our hearts and our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometime around the turn of the 20th century, so we're talking 1901, 1902, 1903, the Times, which was London's most famous newspaper, wrote a group of writers and thinkers of the day with the question, what is wrong with the world? And they invited these thinkers and these intellectuals at the turn of the 20th century to then respond with these beautiful essays describing exactly what was wrong with the world. And one of those thinkers, a man named Gilbert Keith Chesterton, he wrote back an essay. I'm going to read the essay for you right now. Nobody freak out. It's short. Chesterton wrote back, quote, Dear sirs, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Now, not only is that really witty, not only is it a wonderful example of someone who understands the Christian understanding of sin, It also, I think, is a particularly good way to introduce this text from James. See, James is writing this letter, and in writing this letter, in this section in particular, he's imagining a particular kind of person. I'm going to describe this person James is imagining, and I'm just going to throw it out there just with the hopes that some of you and me and us might relate with the kind of person that James is imagining. So James is imagining a person who is observing the world and noticing everyone else's lack of maturity, lack of doing the right thing. And that this person is seeing everyone else's just failure to to get it and is becoming angry and even sinfully angry about it. Nobody can relate with that, right? That's, that's never the posture of any of our souls, is it? 
imagine you thinking that was funnier than you did right then. And see, James is imagining that person and telling that person to grow up, to mature, and to grow and mature in wisdom. In other words, James is talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to us. And so what we're going to do tonight in the few minutes we have together is just paragraph by paragraph. In your English Bibles, it breaks down into three paragraphs, which is pretty good divisions. So paragraph by paragraph, we're going to talk about what James is saying. I'm going to try my very best to explain some of the interesting background things. But the main thing I want you to hear, and it's the main thing I want, I think James wants us to hear tonight. And even though he says it in a brisk tone, okay, I think what James is trying to do, and this is the main thing, is to tell us that we are invited into the wisdom of obedience. Okay, we are invited to be people who obey God, who grow in wisdom, who mature. Okay, we're invited. There's an invitation here to the wisdom that comes from obedience to God. So let's take a look. Look at this first paragraph. James begins with a discussion of anger. Now, it's worth noting that in each of these paragraphs, James is sort of saying something that he will then return to in a fuller way later in the book. It's a way of just introducing thematic material here. But he begins with the subject of anger. Look with me in verse 19. Know this. Okay, this is a way of James is saying, like, let's get this straight. Understand this. Don't miss this. Let's make sure we're on the same page here. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone, every person, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And the first thing we're supposed to notice here is how completely opposite this wisdom that James is offering is compared to the world's wisdom. So let me just compare it. The wisdom that comes from above, that comes from God, that James is trying to get us to see, says that we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Of course, the world's wisdom would go something like this. It would say something like, be quick to react, fast to tell everyone your hot take on the thing, and be quick to be outraged. Okay, we live in a world that is high on outrage and, and low on grace. So the first thing we're supposed to notice is that the wisdom, this is a theme in the book of James, the wisdom that comes from above will always feel to us opposite of the wisdom of our world. And this, these lines, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, um, this is great stuff. Like, I would encourage you to memorize these words. These are the kind of words that you would want to put on your mirror. These are the words that you'd want to stick on a sticky note on your laptop. But they're more than that. It's interesting, because look at the next lines here. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That is good stuff by itself. But look at the next line. For the anger of man does not produce 
the righteousness of God. See, James is imagining a person who's angry, but it's not just hot-headed, hot-tempered anger. It's rather someone looking out into the world and honestly, eagerly, sincerely desiring the righteousness of God. In other words, they want people to do the right thing. Or perhaps they want outsiders to come to know this God. Okay, it's, a, it's the idea of, it's, it's, it's a righteous anger of sorts. Do you see that? But James just wants us to know that if, if we're burdened about people not doing the right thing, the least effective way to encourage them to is to become angry at them. It doesn't work, he says in verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, a righteous anger that is expressed in sinful ways is no longer a righteous anger anymore. Now, y'all, this is like always very obvious to me in my daily, weekly task of parenting. My kids will begin to yell and be mean to each other, so I'll yell and be mean to them in order to try to convince them to not yell and be mean to each other. And James, in this moment, is looking at me and saying, come on, dude. But there's something better, verse 21. Verse 21, he tells us in that moment to be a person who repents and obeys God yourself. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. In other words, be a person repenting of sin yourself. Receive with meekness. In this context, the word meekness has to do with humble, like a, a humble spirit, a teachable spirit, a submissive attitude. Okay, so humbly, in a teachable way, receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This idea of the implanted word has to do with this message of Jesus, this gospel message that you and I heard at some point and it was planted in our hearts. And by the power of the spirit, it begins to take root in our hearts and to grow more full and more full all the time. And what James is saying, instead of being angry at everybody for not getting it, not doing the right thing, what about you humbly and submissively receiving the news of Jesus, the hope of the gospel, the truths of God's word, and let them take root in you in order that you can be saved. See, the scriptures teach us that salvation is not just something that happened to us. It's not just that we got saved at some point. Sure, there's a point in which we came to faith in Christ or owned that faith in Christ. But in a very real way, we're continuing to be saved that God's sustaining grace is constantly holding us fast and keeping us in our salvation. James is saying, let that hope of the gospel take root in your own heart. Okay, look at this second paragraph. He, I'd say, take it up, takes it up a notch. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word. 
and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Another way we could say this is, is don't kid yourself. Okay, don't, don't kid yourself by being someone who comes to a place like this and hears God's word and, and then doesn't plan to do it. What, what James is trying to get us to see here, and I know this is gonna be a crazy thing I'm about to tell you. Okay, hold on to your seats when I tell it to you. James is trying to say that God wants us to obey what he tells us. Now, I hear that God wants me to obey him, and my first thought is, well, I don't understand. Can you tell me more about that? <laughs> and he has an illustration. This illustration comes in verse 23 and 24. It's the illustration of a person looking in a mirror. Look at verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Okay, the point of the illustration is for it to sound kind of absurd, okay? But if you kind of think about this illustration of this mirror in an ancient context, it becomes even more absurd. And let me explain. See, in the ancient world, almost no one, this is going to be crazy to hear, but in the ancient world, almost no one knew what they looked like. Isn't that interesting? They did not have photo IDs. They were not taking pictures of themselves all the time. Mirrors were these luxury goods that not a lot of people had. The best equivalent of a mirror in the ancient world would have been a piece of metal that had been shined in such a way that you could barely make out a reflection. I just have been blown away by that this week. Like no one in the ancient world knew what they looked like. Very few people would have had a painting painted of them or a portrait made of any, in any way. So what James is saying is imagine you had a chance to actually see yourself. Imagine you had a chance to actually see yourself and then you just disregard that and forget. Or the idea is imagine you see yourself and you see something that's not right, like there's something on your face and just instead of wiping it away to just keep it there. The idea, James is saying, that would be absurd, and it is equally absurd to come before God's word and to see yourself. And that's what God's word does for us. It exposes our hearts to see ourselves. See, we go from here all week long, and we're, we're peddled, we're sold a false version of who we're supposed to be. But when we come in here, we actually see ourselves as we are. To be a person who hears and then doesn't do is, is like that. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his or her doing. This is an interesting phrase, the law of liberty. And it's interesting that God's law in the scriptures is always and immediately connected with liberty. God's law was given on the heels of God's people having been liberated from slavery in Egypt. God's law begins literally with God saying, I am the God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I have rescued you into freedom. Now, look, you can obey me. In other words, this Exodus law connection begins to hint at God's law being a kind of invitation to freedom. Now, of course, you guys live in the same world that I live in that tells you the exact opposite thing is true. See, we live in a world that tries to tell us that God's law or obedience to God is restricting, that it it inhibits us, that it cramps what we're supposed to be. There's words to this song that my four-year-old daughter sings in our house a lot. Some of you people might recognize it, but there's a place in the song where it says, no rules, no right, as in verse wrong, no rules, no right, I'm free. And see, the problem with that line is that this attitude that there's no rules, there's no right, there's no wrong, I'm free, the Bible has a word for that, and it calls it slavery. See, freedom, as is understood throughout the pages of the scriptures, freedom comes from obedience. Freedom and joy and life and blessing and peace will come from obedience. Freedom will come from hearing God's word, being a doer of it, walking it out by the power of the spirit, which we'll talk about later. That's where you will become most you and most alive. Y'all, when I was 22 years old, I did not believe what I just told you. When I was 28, I did not believe what I just told you. When I was 35, I did not believe what I just told you. I'm coming close to turning 40 and I'm starting to believe it. That obedience to God will be the thing that will actually give me the most freedom. See, you might be like me, okay? And there are things that still haunt me where I believe the lie that disobedience would be the free thing. And those things still haunt me. Now, it's not easy. This is why James says, the one who perseveres in it. The implication of the word persevere is it will be a difficult journey to be a person who obeys God. I mean, sinful pleasure tastes pleasurable. But have you tasted the joy of obedience? It's a more pleasurable pleasure still. Look at this third paragraph. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious religion is worthless. Now, this is a strong thing. This is a strong word that if we think we are in right relationship with God, but we cannot control our mouth, then we're kidding ourselves. And again, this is something James will return to return to at length later in the letter, and we'll talk about it for a whole Sunday. 
And then this final line, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained by the world. In other words, rather than having your focus on these people around you to be angry at because they don't get it, why don't you instead control your tongue, okay, and look out for the most vulnerable people? Now, most likely, James means the most vulnerable people, the orphans and widows within the Christian community. But of course, the scriptures will teach us that that care and concern for those among us should also extend beyond just us. Again, James will turn, return to some of these ideas at length later. So that's it. That's the word. Okay, that's the wisdom from God. But I want to end tonight by talking to you really specifically about how the good news of Jesus really unlocks the joy and the hope here. Because if you're like me, you walked in here at 4.30 already keenly aware of your failures. Okay, you walked in here at 4.30 already actually paying attention to who you are and and being very discouraged by that. You walked in here knowing that your anger is out of control. You walked in here knowing you're a person who's hearing and not doing a lot of doing. You walked in here already, some of us, knowing that our tongues are often out of control. So what hope would there be for you? I think it's in two places in this text, and I want to explain them to you. First of all, this idea of the law of liberty. Secondly, this idea of the implanted word. Okay, both of these ideas, the law of liberty and the implanted word, lead us to the good news about Jesus. And I want to do the best I can to just kind of look you in the face and talk to you about the hope of Jesus for our obedience. First of all, the scriptures teach us that God's law is intended, again, to show us ourselves. And when it shows us ourselves, it naturally shows us our sin. And then that naturally breaks us in some ways. But that God's law is not just a means by which we see ourselves and we see our own sin, but God's law is a tutor, the Apostle Paul will say, that leads us to Christ. And, sort of, and, and so Christ, in the fullness of his person and his work, this is this implanted word that we've come to know and be united with that changes everything. So I want to just end tonight, before we celebrate the table, just talking to you about four really specific things that Jesus has done in order to make these commands invitations to obedience. So first of all, the scriptures teach us that Jesus came and he obeys the law of God and fulfills it perfectly. There's a song that we sing around Grace Fellowship and and here's some words from it. I think it's really a great place to to focus our hearts for for this passage in particular. Um, Here's what these words say. These words that we sing say, quote, he kept his father's every word, the law he followed perfectly. 
So all of God's pleasure, he secured. All this and more he earned for me. Because his righteous life is mine, and then it goes on to say, and all his merits now I own. In other words, our Lord Jesus became the fulfillment of God's law. He fulfills all righteousness and his righteousness, his obedience. If, you're, if you belong to him, the scriptures teach that you now own that as yours. Secondly, he goes to the cross. The same song says this, his face was set on Calvary. The steepest hill he climbed alone, all this and more he did for me. Because he died once for all time and has borne the curse of death and hell, final forgiveness here is mine. It is finished, all is well. Yes, it is finished, all is well. It might be a long time since someone has just looked you in the eyes and told you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins to purchase forgiveness for you. And that is a thing that he has done that is completed and is finished. Thirdly, the scriptures teach that he was raised from the dead, that he ascended to the throne of God the Father. The scriptures teach that right now in this very moment, the Lord Jesus is praying for you. As you seek to obey him, as you seek to be a doer of his word and not just to hear, as you seek to be a person who is quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger, the scriptures teach us that Jesus Christ himself is actually praying for you. If you ever wanna know what Jesus is doing, the scriptures teach that he's ruling the universe and praying for you right now. Fourthly, the scripture teaches that Jesus pours out his spirit, that his spirit forges this union that we have with him. His life is ours and his spirit comes to dwell inside of us. And that his spirit, even now in a moment like this, desires to move in your heart in such a way that your heart becomes more transformed. The power of sin becomes more habitually weakened in your life so that you can be converted into this new creation. Because of the power of the Spirit, you actually can obey him. You see, in a moment like this, there's always a few conversations happening, and I wonder if you come to church aware of what happens. So first of all, Here's one conversation that tends to happen when you are in a moment like this. And some of you may have heard these whispers in the last couple minutes. But there's one voice, it would be the voice of the enemy, it would be a lie that would want to whisper to you in moments like this. Like, you stink at this. And, and you should probably hide in shame. There's maybe another voice that would whisper to you, well, if you can't obey, then don't worry about it. It's probably not a big deal. And both are lies. Instead, the whisper that we, we should hear is the words of Jesus. I'm making all things new. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Do you see the way 
that that empowers our obedience. Life and joy and peace are there for the taking. You and I are invited into the joy of obedience. Let's pray. Lord, these things are easier to talk about from a pulpit than to live in the very real things in our lives. But God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, that you would convert and change our hearts, that you would help us receive the truth of what you have done for us. Lord, in such a way that you make us into people who can walk gladly in the joy of obedience. Lord, for your sake we pray in Jesus' name, amen.